have your Bibles with you, please open to the book of Colossians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 2 through 6. And of course, the title is Praying How, What, and Who. Now, I'm confident this morning that many of you, if not all of you, like going on trips for vacation. You like to get away. Perhaps you go see relatives. Perhaps you like going to the beach or going to amusement parks or national parks. You take pleasure in the opportunity to get away, to slow down, to unwind, and to relax. Now, you might not be aware of this, but you and I have gone on trips together. The majority of them have not been pleasant. However, all the trips that we've taken together have been memorable. And I'm not speaking of taking comfort cruises or glorious getaways. I am speaking of guilt trips. Many of us have taken guilt trips many, many times. And many journeys have been started right in this room. This guilt trip has been launched right here. But my goal and aim, objective today, is not to put you on a guilt trip, but to send you on an expedition of grace. Now our passage this morning naturally falls into two parts. Prayer. Listening and speaking to God. I.e. how, what, and who. And evangelism. Speaking to God. Which, by the way, prayer is a prerequisite for evangelism. If you want to be successful and intentional on your evangelism, then you must start with prayer. Ask God to send you to where you need to go. Ask God to give you the words to speak. Now, you can go do evangelism before prayer, but I'll tell you, it'll go a lot better if you pray before, before you go out and do evangelism. Now, before you shut down and take a mental guilt trip, because there's two things that we always kind of shy back about. For example, for prayer, we just sang a song, Sweet Hour of Prayer. When's the last time you've actually spent an hour in prayer. And we know we should share our faith, be engaged in evangelism. But yet, a lot of us do not share our faith. Statistics show that only one out of every five Christians even share their faith. So before you start taking that mental guilt trip right now, I ask you to allow the Holy Spirit to breathe freshness through this passage. Because we know that prayer makes a difference, amen? We know that we have access to the God of the universe. We know that we can have peace as we pray. And we know without prayer, we are powerless. Prayer is our communication with our Heavenly Father. We must stay in constant communication with Him. There are several obstacles and hurdles and hindrances that keep us from praying. Perhaps we don't have a true relationship with God. Or maybe we're so focused on asking for things rather than asking to know God more personally and more intimately. Maybe we're just too proud 
You may view prayer as a choice or a have to. And with that in mind, let's read the text together. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. He tells the Christians at Colossae, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I see my first mistake. I misquoted the verse to the kids. It's actually verse 6 and not verse 5. But look what he says right off the beginning. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourself. Stick by. Be close at hand. Attach oneself to or to be faithful in. There is an emphasis on continuity. To hold fast. To continue in. To persist in. Can I just make a, a side note here? You do not have to be on your knees, closing your eyes to pray. You can be in your car. And I would highly suggest, unless you're parked in the parking lot, don't close your eyes. But you can talk to God as you're going to work. You can talk to God as you go into Walmart. Here's another side note to that. You may, if you ask God for patience as you go into Walmart, you better hang on. He's going to give you many opportunities to exercise patience. Well, we can talk to him any time. There are times we need to kneel and to talk to him and close our eyes and, and just push everything. That's, by the way, when we close our eyes, it's a, a physical way of saying, okay, we're going to close everything else out. We're going to stay focused on God. The New King James renders it, continue, continue earnestly in prayer, or the message, pray diligently. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he tells us to pray without ceasing, to be in constant contact with God the Father. There's another song that we like to sing called, I Need Thee, Oh, I Need Thee, Every Hour I Need Thee. I've had days like that, haven't you? Moment by moment, God, I need you now. This idea to be constantly praying. Praying is something we... Prayer is not something we just do when we come to church or to Bible study. It's something we should start our day with. Be praying throughout the day and ending our day in prayer. My days have always gone a lot better as I get up, get ready to go to work or come here, whatever I'm doing, and say, God, help me today to make the most of every opportunity. You don't have to spend elaborate time in prayer or use these big words. Just tell God what's on your heart. I've said this before, God already, already knows what's on your heart. You're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 5, Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Fellow believers were praying on behalf of Peter fervently. They were persisting in it. They did not give up. I've seen that happen and continue to happen in this body of believers. We have some real prayer warriors in our midst. People I know who pray, not just on Sunday, but every day through the week. Messaging each other. Communicating the prayer needs of our church. 
He tells them to keep alert in it, to stay awake, be watchful, to be in a constant state of readiness, to be vigilant, to be a, have an alert mind. We are to pray with mental alertness. We are to know the circumstances of life, particularly situations that affect the spread of the gospel. To pray more effectively, know what's going on, know the situation. There is a website and also a publication called The Voice of the Martyrs. tells us about persecution of our brothers and sisters throughout the world. They tell the story so we can pray, know the situation. Now it's okay to pray for the world. It's okay to say, Lord, be with the community of Forestburg, but be more specific. When we pray for each other, just don't pray for the congregation. Pray for each individual as we know them. I pray for Larry, Bev, Roger, Mimi, Daryl, Donna, and so on and so forth. That's one thing I started back up on Monday mornings as I'm writing cards. If you haven't got a card yet, you will get one soon. As I'm writing that card, God brings to mind those people, and I start praying for you individually in that moment. For us to be persistent in our prayers, we must be constantly alert. We must know what the will of God is and the needs of the world or the community. God, we want your will to be done. We know what we need, but pray for those needs. Pray for the needs of our community. Pray for the needs of our church. Informed prayer is likely to be more personal, purposeful, personal, and powerful. But look what he says. He has another condition on it. But when you do all this, to pray, devote yourselves to prayer, keep an alert in it, and with an attitude of thanksgiving. That's the expressions of content or gratitude. I like the way the message renders it, with your eyes open wide in gratitude. See, prayer and thanksgiving should never be disassociated from each other. Because thankfulness is the environment for praying. It provides a safeguard for informed praying. Because remembering former mercies will produce spontaneous praise. As we get together, I've seen this happen here. We've had some prayer time, and as we're praying, God will bring to mind, hey, remember this, this happened? And it just breaks forth in spontaneous praise. They start praising God for what he did. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's a diary, but I encourage you, you're not doing this. Even the, even the gentleman, get yourself a spiral notebook. It's a call to journal. And as you start to pray, write down stuff that's going on in your life, in the, in the church. And you keep doing that every day. What you now is have a written record that you can go to and six months from now, go, look what I got to answer that prayer, and God answered this prayer, and God answered this prayer. I know the ladies pray every Wednesday, get together, and they can tell you what they pray for. They can see direct answers how God has been moving this whole entire time. It keeps you encouraged. And you'll break out in spontaneous praise. Everybody around you think you're crazy. You ever, let me ask you a question. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Have you ever listened to Christian music and you get so inspired by a hymn that you hear or a song or the lyric just grabs your heart and you start singing real loud and people, you're at a stoplight, people kind of give you that look. You ever done that? It happens to me in my convertible. I'll put the top down. I just have the music blaring and people, what's wrong with that guy? I like to raise my hands, but I got to keep my hand on the wheel. Now, I'm, I'm stuck at a stoplight, right? But that, that spontaneous praise, that can happen as you pray going down the road. There's many times that as I'm going down the road, God will bring things to mind. And I'll begin to pray about it. And God, what do you want me to do? 
Now, Paul's circumstances, when he was writing this letter, could have been discouraging because he was awaiting trial. To ensure the proper perspective, Paul encouraged them or urged them to offer their prayers with an attitude of thanksgiving. This kind of prayer clearly sees the obstacles and difficulties, but recognizes God is still able to work in the midst of the most dire circumstances we can possibly think of. A lot of times we feel like giving up and throwing in the towel. God stands up and says, oh, yeah, well, watch this. Look what I can do. Look at how I can move. See, the circumstance or situation of your life, need not, it shouldn't affect your prayer life, as he's talking about in this passage. As I was preparing for this, uh, I think it was Monday, I was coming to the office, I was listening to Dr. Tony Evans, who's a senior pastor at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. Now, he used this illustration, but in his context, he was talking about do not worry. Tomorrow will take care of itself. That your heavenly Father will meet your needs. And I think it fits here as we pray. Because we, we shouldn't let our outside circumstances dictate when we should not pray. Because a lot of times what we'll do when, when life gets tough, we go through a list of check, uh, like a checklist, and we get the very bottom. We say, well, at least all I can do is pray. No, the most important thing you can do is pray. Then he uses this illustration. The problem with us when we pray or worry is that we forget who we're dealing with. And he said, you have to be careful where you put B-U-T, the word but. Listen to this. For example, what we normally say is, I trust God, but you don't know what I'm going through. We may say, I love the Lord, but I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. I know the Lord is able, but I'm going to throw in the towel. But this is what we should be saying. I don't know how I'm going to make it, but my God has said that he will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We should say, I'm sure struggling, but God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I'm so frustrated, but I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Psalm 37, verse 26. Do you see the difference? We recognize the situation but we still recognize that God is able to work in the middle of that circumstance or situation. You follow? Look what he says next. Praying at the same time for us as well. Now he's not only referencing himself and Timothy, but the friends and companions mentioned later in the letter. We'll look at that next week. And he is conscious of a special need for spiritual strength and wisdom. He knew that any success that he may experience was because he looked to the Lord to supply the wisdom and the open doors. That's what he says. He, he says, pray for us that God will open a door to us for the word. He lived for such opportunities, often the redeeming virtue of his circumstances. He knew that it was God that provided these doors of ministry. I mean, here's Paul in prison awaiting trial. But yet he lived for every moment, every opportunity, he could further the advancement of the gospel. That was a redeeming virtue for him. But he knew it was God that opened up those doors. He's asking the Colossian Christians, look, I know I'm in prison, but pray 
that God will open up doors for us, that we can share the gospel. That begs the question, are you asking God to open doors for you? Do you start the day or throughout the day, God, open a door of opportunity for me to speak truth and life into someone's life. You see commercials all the time, they're right, they'll say you don't know what's going on inside of a person. Everybody's carrying baggage, everybody's carrying hurt and suffering. That person you're talking to, you don't know what's all going on in their life. Have that opportunity, take advantage of the opportunity to speak truth and life in that per into that person. Are you praying that God will open up doors for this church body? But here's the follow-up question. If you're praying those things, are you willing to step through those doors when they open? Instead of praying, God, send somebody to share Christ with my uncle. We should be praying, God, open a door for me to share the gospel with my uncle. God, we need more missionaries to go forth. Send more missionaries. Instead, we should be praying, God, open up doors for me. Perhaps I need to serve as a missionary. Give me the opportunity to share the gospel. You see the difference? Coming to church and worshiping is important. But it's all of us are called to be missionaries. All of us are called to share the gospel. Are you willing to step through? Let me ask you this. We're, we're praying for this church to grow, not only by numbers, but also by spiritual matters, right? We're asking God to open up more doors we can reach our community. Well, 500 people show up. Are you ready to walk through that door and do whatever it takes to minister to those people? I can't do it myself. Are you willing? Are you able? And are you ready? He says to open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, the Messiah. That brings to mind chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, which he says, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to the saints to whom God will to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the mystery. Now, when you become a Christian and you ask Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, at that moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Christ in you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me who lives. Tim, how can you do what you do? It's not because of me. It's because Christ gives me what I need to do the ministry. See, he's not looking for people who are already equipped. He's looking for people who are willing to step forward. I don't know how to do this, God, but I'm going to trust you that you will supply what I need and you will guide me the entire way. See, he doesn't call the equip. He equips the called. Look at the call of Moses. That guy came up with every excuse under the sun. God answered every need. God gets a little mad at him. Finally tells Moses, who, who created man? So Moses goes. Are you making excuses? Is God calling you? If you are a Christian this morning, God's calling you to some type of ministry. You are to be active in spreading the gospel. 
by word and by deed. That message he's talking about, this mystery, is why Paul was suffering and why he was in prison. Look what he says, he's even more specific than that. That I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. I want to proclaim it clearly. The opportunities were great, but his situation called for special wisdom. Whether to preaching to people while he was under house arrest, or going before the Supreme Court of the land, he wanted to be able to speak plainly and clearly to his people that were listening to him to make known the gospel. Give me the words to speak. Help me in what I say. And he wanted to do justice to the nature of the gospel so that the witness would be clear. The way you witness to people is different. The way you talk to someone in Forestburg might be a lot different than you run somebody in Fort Worth. Let me tell you, it's a lot different when you go to New York City. And even here in Texas, we have subcultures. You got West Texas, you have where we're at, North Central Texas, you have East Texas, and you have South Texas. Each of those areas have these little subcultures. And by the way, by the influx of people from the world coming in, there's people from Asia coming in, there's people from the Middle East have come in. Go to Houston. Man, that's a melting pot right there alone. Know your audience. Speak to them. Speak to them plain so they can understand the message. You see Jesus do this. When he uses the parables, he pulls illustrations right there from life. They were, they were fishermen. He uses parables about fishing. Things that the people were familiar with to tell them about the eternal truth. Now he turns the attention to them and how they take out the gospel to other people, how they communicate to to other people. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders. Literally, you can translate that, in wisdom be walking. And walking is how living out life. So don't only be don't only uh, be careful with the words that you speak, but how you live out your life. At the beginning of the letter, Paul pray, prayed for them to have wisdom. Now he's asking them to live that wisdom out. You know the gospel. How many people in here know the gospel? You can, uh, can you audibly? <laughs> how many people know the gospel? You know the gospel. You, you're a Christian. But you have to live that out. See, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom involves a healthy dose of perspective and the ability to make sound judgments about a subject. That's wisdom. But knowledge, you can have knowledge about anything. Go research it. You can know everything there is to know about God. You can know the Bible frontwards and backwards. You can know every, you can probably quote many pages of Scripture. But do you have the wisdom to live that out? See, wisdom is the correct way to handle knowledge. It's not only to know, but to have wisdom about it. Live it out. And that wisdom has to come from God. Wisdom is necessary because their witness and testimony was on the line. And same with us. The ones outside need examples of God's wisdom. Let me tell you, you may not say this, there's a lot of people hurting outside these walls. 
They're looking for something, anything. They're looking at what the world has to offer, especially after this pandemic. We're still going through the pandemic. Here we are a year later. People are looking for the meaning and purpose of life. What you don't hear reported on the news is that suicides went up. Domestic violence went up. Drug abuse went up. Think about it. There was no sporting events. Malls were shut down. You couldn't go to the movies. Everything the world promotes, God literally just took away everything, didn't he? People are looking, and there are people out there hungry for it. Pray God will give you the wisdom to speak truth into people's lives. And sometimes it's the way you act, how you handle yourself. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. The concern that Paul has is the attitudes that they have toward unbelievers could impact how that unbeliever responds or not responds to the gospel. We know that. I'll never, I shouldn't say never, chances are someone will convert and become a Christian if I knock on the door and say, you better turn or burn, buddy. My attitude towards that believer. I always should be motivated by love. Because if I truly love you the way Christ loves you, by the way, that's what Scripture says we are to love each other as Christ loves us. If I truly love you, I'm going to tell you the truth about eternity. How sad would that be if I profess to love people and someone ends up in hell because I never shared the gospel with them? If I truly love them, I'm going to be honest with them. And having the wisdom when to speak that truth into their lives. At some point, I'm going to have to tell them about salvation. And tell them, I'm, the reason I'm telling you is because I care about you. I don't want you to spend eternity separated from God. Let me tell you about Jesus. And when you've been living that wisdom out, they'll see that difference in you, and you'll tell them, this is why I live the way I do. Look what he says in the text. Making the most of the opportunity, or literally redeeming the time. Take the time. Whatever is needed to reach the lost. Perhaps Paul was reflecting on his own limited time that he had while he was waiting trial to answer the charges against him. He was trying to make sure that he made the most of every minute he had left. And that speaks to us. As believers and as a church, are we realizing and making the most of every opportunity, corporately as a church and individually as believers? Hebrews 9, verse 27, It's appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. If, if we truly believe Christ can come back at any moment, and we truly believe that people are called home, people die every day, and we don't know when that's going to happen, that will put an urgency on us and make the most of every opportunity of all the time that we have to communicate the truth to people. Look what he says. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Salt was used to preserve food, but preserve food. I can't say that. Food, there it is. It's also used to enhance the flavor. By enhancing the flavor, the salt makes food more appetizing. So this Salty speech was referred to witty and clever discussion. In other words, don't be monotone. I think I shared this with you before. 
I can't tell you who the speaker was. It was at seminary. And the guy literally got up to the pulpit. I'm not kidding. He got up. This is what he said. The problem with our preaching, there's no passion. Really? You think so? Man, if you're going to talk about it, have some passion about it. Have some fervor to it. Have some, have some joy with it. Now, doesn't mean we walk around with a smile on our face all the time. There's rubber rooms for people like that. Life's hard. It's tough. Tim, how can you go on? How can you just... Well, because I know who's on the throne. I know what happens. This is not all there is. Aren't you glad about that this morning? This is not it, folks. All eternity. So that you will know how you should respond. Conversation was to be suited to each person. Sound answers offered with a positive spirit overcomes many obstacles. This is really talking about the method in which we share the gospel with graciousness and sensitivity. Now, I don't mean sensitivity like the world means sensitivity. Don't misunderstand me. We have to stand firm on what the Word of God says. But our attitude will impact one's decision to listen or not and to respond. So here's, here's the big answer. The key to praying and witnessing more is not necessarily being disciplined, but is cultivating intimacy with God by bowing to the supremacy of Christ. If you want to be more effective in evangelism, that means you need to pray. And to be effective in your prayers, seek God out. Not out of a sense of guilt or dread or fear or have to. You want to go, God, I want to know you. I want to know you the way Moses knew you. I want to know you the way John knew you. I want to know you all those people of faith I read about. I want to have that knowledge. I want to experience you like they did. I want to have that for my own. Come to him seeking that out. Not out of guilt, but a desire, a passion to know him personally and intimately. And you come to him with a grateful and obedient heart. Dearly beloved, if you do that, if you come seeking God, God will make himself known to you. That's how spiritual awakenings have happened throughout the years. People said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of just going through the motions. God, I want to know you. I want to experience the true power that you have. I want, I'm tired of all this other stuff. I want to see you work. And let me tell you, God will show up. But I must warn you, when he does that, he's going to hold a mirror up to you and say, before we go any further, Tim, we need to deal with these right here. You need to give that over to me. And as you begin to confess and repent, that weight, that pressure that you're feeling right now will be lifted. And you can sing the old hymn that we're all so familiar with, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound that saved a wretch like me. Are you ready to experience God? We've seen the move. But dearly beloved, this is only a tip of the iceberg. He wants to do so much more. He wants to do so much more. And it will be so grand and so 
overwhelming that we can do nothing but assassinate God. We've seen that happen already in this church. So now it's, it's up to you. What do you want to do? God is saying, I'm here. I'm ready. Come to me. Come to me. If there's sin in your life, confess it and repent of it. And He'll forgive you. But you have to confess it. You have to repent. You have to turn away from it. He's here. He's ready. He's willing. He's done it so many times. The Bible's full of stories. Well, Tim, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my story. Look at some of the people in the Bible for crying out loud. Look at David, a man after God's own heart, what he did. Look at Peter, denied Christ three times, but went on to be one of the pillars of the early church. Just come to him. Be honest. Let go of your pride. I'm going to end with this one statement. Refuse to walk out these doors the same person you walked in. Because you've been in the presence of the almighty living God. And you'll never be the same. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we could come together. And we thank you for the privilege of prayer. The fact that we can come into your throne room at any time. Knowing with confidence that you hear us. And that you care about us. Father, we are living in difficult times. We know that no matter how difficult the situation or circumstance might be, you are still able to work right through it. You're able to do all things. God, we want to, we want to see you. We want to experience you. We want to See you move in a mighty way. So search us and try us, oh God. See if there's any wicked way in us. We are your willing servants. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?